Greetings. Welcome to Skechers Third Quarter 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn this conference over to Skechers. Thank you. You may begin. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Skechers Conference Call today. I will now read the Safe Harbor Statement. Certain statements contained herein, including, without limitation, statements addressing the beliefs, plans, objectives, estimates, or expectations of the company or future results or events may constitute forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties. Specifically, the COVID-19 pandemic has had and is currently having a significant impact on the company's business, financial conditions, cash flow, and results of operations. Such forward-looking statements with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic include, without limitation, the company's plans in response to this pandemic. At this time, there is significant uncertainty about the duration and extent of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The dynamic nature of these circumstances means that what is said on this call could change at any time, and as a result, actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by such forward-looking statements. Additional forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks, including, but not limited to, global, national, and local economic, business, and market conditions, including the impact of inflation, Russia's war with Ukraine, and supply chain delays and disruption. In general, and specifically as they apply to the retail industry and the company. There can be no assurance that the actual future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by any of our forward-looking statements will occur. Users of forward-looking statements are encouraged to review the company's filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, including the most recent annual report on Form 10-K, quarterly reports on Form 10-Q, current reports on Form 8-K, and all other reports filed with the SEC as required by federal securities laws or a description of all other significant risk factors that may affect the company's business, financial conditions, cash flows, and results of operations. With that, I would like to turn the call over to Skechers Chief Operating Officer, David Weinberg, and Chief Financial Officer, John Vandemer. David? Thank you for joining us today on our third quarter 2022 conference call. Before we discuss our business in detail, I would like to thank Footwear News for naming Skechers as Company of the Year for the third time in our 30-year history. This honor wouldn't have been possible without the collective energy, dedication, and creativity of the entire Skechers organization, both here in Southern California, as well as in every Skechers showroom, office, logistics center, and retail store around the world. The Skechers team worked extremely hard this year alongside our loyal partners globally, be it our accounts, distributors, factories, and vendors. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for your enthusiasm and collaboration as we work through the challenges of the last couple years. We are optimistic that the COVID-related restrictions are easing with only a few markets around the world still facing temporary closures and restrictions, and that freight costs are beginning to decline. However, macroeconomic headwinds, including foreign currency exchange rates and congestion within our distribution centers due to the strong demand for our products 
and supply chain disruptions over the past year impacted our reported results in the third quarter, and we expect will remain a factor into the new year. While we focused on working through these challenges, we remained a go-to source for consumers and our partners around the world, resulting in a new quarterly sales record of $1.88 billion for the third quarter. We are proud of this achievement, which was driven by double-digit increases in EMEA and the Americas and high single-digit growth in APAC, bringing our international business to 60% of our total sales. As we see improvements from supply chain, logistic costs, distribution center congestion, particularly in North America, foreign currency exchange rates, and closures in China, we believe we will achieve continued revenue growth. Our ongoing success of record annual sales in 2021 and this year's three consecutive quarterly sales records is rooted in our talented team. Our core design principles, comfort, innovation, style, and quality at a reasonable price by which every pair is measured. Our focused marketing efforts, our deep distribution network, and our determination to deliver our product as quickly as possible to our consumers. Years ago, we recognized the need for comfortable footwear, and as the third largest athletic footwear company in the world, we are widely known for our comfort technology products. As consumers have truly come to view casual as the new normal, we are in a unique position with our extensive offering. Always looking for new ways to meet our customers' needs, we extended our Skechers ArchFit technology into a wider offering of styles introduced Skechers hands-free slip-ins, the ultimate in ready-to-go footwear for men, women, and children, and expanded our fashion collection within our Skechers Street offering and collaborations. Innovations is the core of our performance division, and it's never looked stronger, including the gripping outsole and comfort upper of our Viper Court Pickleball collection, and the awards given to the Max Road 5 by both Men's Health and Self magazines. Also, this month, the Razor Fork, an update to the technical running shoe that Meb wore in his Boston Marathon win, was released with Hyperburst Pro, the latest evolution of our signature ultra-lightweight resilient cushioning foam. We are always focused on meeting the demands of our wholesale partners globally and our consumers who shop at our approximately 4,450 Skechers retail stores worldwide and through our expanding e-commerce footprint, all to ensure Skechers, the comfort technology company, is the leading choice and is available when and where consumers want. Total sales growth of 21% or 27% on a constant currency basis was the result of increases in our international and domestic businesses of 25% and 15% respectively. By region, EMEA saw improvements of 48% and the Americas grew 16%. We are also particularly pleased with our APAC sales growth of 9% or 17% on a constant currency basis, which includes China decreasing by 19% or a not-so-strong double-digit 13% in constant currency. Despite China's zero-COVID policy, we remain confident in a long-term success for Skechers in this country. In the quarter, our wholesale business increased 26% due to double-digit growth both in domestic and international, 
The international growth was led by a 59% increase in EMEA, an 18% increase in the Americas, and an 8% increase in APAC. Overall, wholesale sales were driven by increases in unit volume of 25% and an average selling price per unit of 1%. The Americas wholesale sales growth was due primarily to a 15% increase within our U.S. wholesale business, where we saw improvements across genders and multiple categories, most notably our sport, casual, and work lines, as well as the unit price. Canada and Mexico, our two largest American markets outside the United States, also achieved double-digit growth, and every Latin American country also saw sales improvements, except Chile, which is experiencing significant economic volatility. Growth in EMEA wholesale was primarily driven by double-digit improvements across all European countries, as well as growth within our distributors, primarily driven by the Middle East, Turkey, and Scandinavia, partially offset by the continued cessation of shipments to Russia. APAC wholesale sales increased primarily due to strength within our distributors, as well as India and Singapore, and the addition of the Philippines, which transitioned from a distributor in 2021. The increases were partially offset by decreases in China and Japan due to COVID-related lockdown measures. Turning to our direct-to-consumer business, which is a key focus area for the company, as we look to create more opportunities to showcase the broad range of Sketchers products and connect directly with consumers. Sales increased 12% in the quarter, due to growth of 14% in the Americas, 10% in APAC, and 6% in EMEA. Domestic direct-to-consumer sales increased 15%, primarily due to strong double-digit growth in our digital commerce channel. International direct-to-consumer sales grew in nearly every country, partially offset by declines in China, which was impacted by the temporary closures of just over 10% of our company-owned stores, and Chile due to economic volatility. In total, direct-to-consumer unit volume increased 11%, and average selling price was essentially flat. In the third quarter, we opened 76 company-owned Skechers stores, including 46 in China, eight big-box stores in the United States, a flagship store in Madrid, and our first store in Rotterdam. We also expanded and relocated two stores in key Lima malls, Jockey Plaza, and Plaza Norte. We closed 34 locations in the quarter, including 21 in China and two concept stores in the United States. We ended the quarter with 4,458 Skechers stores worldwide, of which 3,054 were third-party stores, including 177 that opened in the third quarter, 129 of which were in China, 12 in India, and five in South Korea. In the fourth quarter to date, we've opened 14 company-owned stores, including one big-box store in the United States and five stores in China. For the remainder of the year, we plan to open an additional 35 to 45 company-owned locations. In the third quarter, we launched new e-commerce sites in Poland and Switzerland, and this month we launched our site in Japan. We also plan to launch several more e-commerce sites in the coming year. We are pleased with our record sales achievement in the third quarter, driven by the continued strong demand for our comfort technology products. 
With double-digit growth across our wholesale and direct-to-consumer businesses, sales increased in nearly every market except those that faced either COVID-related lockdown measures or significant economic volatility. This is a testament to our product and marketing resonating globally, as well as our determination to both deliver our footwear to consumers as quickly as possible, and the efforts we've made to improve our infrastructure, including our network of distribution centers, some of which are being impacted by the supply chain challenges. The expansion of our LEED certified goal, 2.6 million square foot North American distribution center is in the final process of integration with our existing system. This is expected to improve processing volumes and efficiencies over the course of 2023. With International representing 60% of our total sales, we remain focused on our infrastructure abroad. We plan to begin shipments out of two new distribution centers in the first half of 2023. This includes a new 427,000 square foot distribution center in Vancouver, which will result in improved shipping times in Canada, as well as some reduced pressure on our Rancho Bolago facility. As we celebrate our 10th year of business in India, we begin the first phase of our 1.1 million square foot IGBC Platinum Pre-Certified Distribution Center outside Mumbai, which is planned to be operational by mid-2023. This quarter, we also began phase two of our China Distribution Center, which is expected to be complete in 2024. Last month, we held our first in-person global product conference since COVID at the newly finished initial phase of our corporate headquarters in Southern California. And this month, our key retail partners joined us for 2023 buy meetings. The expanded building on Pacific Coast Highway is now home to our many showrooms serving to highlight our extensive comfort technology footwear. To support and drive awareness to our diverse product offering, we have an equally diverse team of ambassadors appearing in our marketing campaigns. From pop superstar Ava Max to lifestyle guru Martha Stewart, retired athletes Sugar Ray Leonard and Tony Romo, to elite major championship golfers Brooke Henderson and Matt Fitzpatrick, and local celebrities who launched in the third quarter, including Mylene Class in the UK and Vanessa Mai and Michael Ballack in Germany. Getcher's marketing campaigns appeared on billboards in Panama and Chile, buses in Greece, across buildings on high streets in Spain and Portugal, elevator kiosks in China, and malls in Canada, Hungary, and Colombia, as well as Skechers' shoes on the feet of influencers and key opinion leaders, on a catwalk in Berlin, and on covers and within the pages of fashion magazines worldwide. Where consumers shop, be it on their phones or in malls, or where they visit, be it in stadiums or tourist centers, or where they commute, buses, trams, and subways, Skechers is everywhere, driving demand. There's no doubt that macroeconomic issues remain, but we believe our unique position as a brand that delivers on comfort, style, innovation, and quality at a reasonable price will continue to resonate with consumers in the U.S. and around the world. And now, I would like to turn the call over to John for more details on our financial results. Thank you, David, and good afternoon, everyone. Skechers again achieved a new quarterly sales record of $1.88 billion, growing 21% on an as-reported basis and 27% on a constant currency basis, 
we saw double-digit growth in both our wholesale and direct-to-consumer segments. In fact, we saw double-digit growth in nearly every country, demonstrating the broad-based consumer demand for our comfort technology products and the strength of the Skechers brand around the world. We remain focused on executing our long-term growth strategy and delivering a diverse assortment of innovative, comfortable products for consumers across the globe. Even as we navigate historic headwinds from supply chain disruptions, ongoing COVID-related restrictions, inflationary pressures, and growing uncertainty around the macroeconomic environment and its impact on consumers. I want to first provide an update on COVID-related supply chain dynamics and their impact on our results in the quarter. One year ago, we began experiencing container shortages, factory closures, and severe port congestion. Those conditions led to elongated order timelines and tremendous concern about product availability, which prompted more substantial backlog volumes. Then, about mid-year, we experienced significant improvements in transit times and port throughput. This resulted in capacity challenges in distribution networks across the industry due to a meaningfully increased arrival rate for goods. Consequently, we experienced and continue to experience processing constraints at our distribution centers, leading to cost inefficiencies as we work to mitigate the impact of these disruptions on our customers. In the third quarter, this gave rise to approximately 50 million of incremental logistics costs globally, which weighed heavily on our results. In addition, more significant than expected COVID-related challenges in the Asia-Pacific region, particularly in China, and adverse foreign currency fluctuations further weighed on expected results, which were below our earnings guidance. While we are disappointed with the lack of earnings flow-through from our better-than-expected sales in the quarter, we are confident that supporting our customers was the right decision for our brand. Further, we believe the corrective actions we have taken and are taking to accelerate additional capacity and adjust future orders will ultimately resolve the situation and restore efficiency. Now let's review our third quarter financial results. Wholesale sales increased 26% year-over-year to $1.19 billion, led by 33% growth internationally and 15% growth domestically. Broad strength extended across regions with notable growth in EMEA and the Americas, as well as in APAC, excluding China. Collectively, we saw a double-digit increase in units sold and higher average selling prices per unit, reflecting strong demand for our distinctive product portfolio at compelling price points. Direct-to-consumer sales increased 12% year-over-year, $686.8 million, with 15% growth domestically and 9% growth internationally, driven by double-digit increases in units sold and strength in both our retail stores and digital platforms. As one of our key long-term growth strategies, the investments we are making in our direct-to-consumer segment are yielding strong results as we continue to expand our international online presence and enhance our omni-channel capabilities. This further enables us to build direct relationships with our loyal consumers, showcase the breadth and depth of our product portfolios, attract new consumers, and above all else, deliver great products. We are excited about the growth opportunities ahead 
and meeting the needs of our consumers whenever and however they choose. Now turning to our regional sales. In the Americas, sales for the third quarter increased 16% year-over-year to $948 million, supported by growth across all channels. As we work to alleviate the congestion in our domestic distribution network, we expect sustained consumer demand for our products and brand residents will continue to drive growth across the region in the fourth quarter. In EMEA, sales increased 48% year-over-year to $469.8 million, primarily driven by strength in our wholesale segment, which benefited from improvements in product availability compared to last year's European port congestion. In APAC, sales increased 9% year-over-year to $460.6 million, driven by strength in distributor markets as well as India, Singapore, and Malaysia, partially offset by a decline in China. Excluding China, sales grew 60%. In China, sales declined 19%, as over 10% of our stores were temporarily closed at one point. We expect ongoing COVID-related lockdowns and restrictions to continue to impact our operations into 2023. This, however, does not diminish our view of the Chinese market long-term, where the Skechers brand is uniquely positioned with our distinctive product and attractive value proposition. Third quarter gross margins decreased 280 basis points year-over-year, 47.1%, predominantly due to elevated freight costs as well as an unfavorable mix impact from higher distributor sales, partially offset by improved pricing. Operating expenses increased $123.3 million, or 20%, but decreased approximately 30 basis points as a percentage of sales year-over-year. Selling expenses increased $23 million, or 18%, but improved 20 basis points as a percentage of sales. The dollar increase was primarily due to higher demand creation expenses in digital and brand marketing globally. General and administrative expenses increased 100.2 million, or 20%, but decreased 20 basis points as a percentage of sales year over year. We incurred approximately 50 million of incremental logistics costs globally to minimize disruptions in delivering product to our customers, and also saw increased volume-driven distribution expenses. Earnings from operations decreased 11% compared to 2021 and our operating margin for the quarter was 6.9%, as compared with 9.4% in the prior year. Earnings per share were $0.55 cents per diluted share on 156.2 million diluted shares outstanding, a 17% decrease year-over-year. This includes a negative $0.09 cent impact from foreign currency fluctuations year-over-year. Our effective tax rate for the third quarter was 17.9%, compared to 15.6% in the prior year. And now turning to our balance sheet, we ended the quarter with $681.5 million in cash, cash equivalents, and investments. This is a decrease of $500.2 million, or 42% from September 30, 2021, as we continue to invest in working capital to drive sales and ensure we have product available in the right place and at the right time to meet consumer demand. Inventory was $1.78 billion, an increase of 45%, or $549 million compared to the prior year period, reflecting the supply chain conditions I previously mentioned. 
We are optimistic that inventories will gradually return to normalized levels as supply chain volatility diminishes. Accounts receivable quarter end were $933.9 million, an increase of $175.2 million from September 30, 2021, resulting from higher wholesale sales. Capital expenditures for the quarter were $100.1 million, of which $42.1 million related to the expansion of our distribution infrastructure globally, $30.8 million related to investments in our retail stores and direct-to-consumer technologies, and $17.7 million related primarily to our new product design center. During the third quarter, we also repurchased 639,000 shares of our Class A common stock at a cost of $25 million. We will continue to deploy our capital consistent with our philosophy for maintaining a strong balance sheet and making investments in our business while opportunistically providing direct returns to shareholders in the form of share repurchases. Now turning to guidance. For the fourth quarter, we expect sales in the range of $1.725 billion to $1.775 billion and net earnings per diluted share in the range of 30 to 40 cents. We anticipate sequential gross margin improvements in the fourth quarter and that our effective tax rate for the year will be between 19 and 20 percent. This guidance also includes the continuing impact of inefficiency in our distribution network associated with supply chain congestion, as well as ongoing COVID-related operating limitations, particularly in the Asia-Pacific region. For the fiscal year 2022, we expect total capital expenditures to be between 300 and 325 million as we continue to invest in our strategic priorities. In the face of innumerable challenges, we are encouraged by the strong consumer demand for our comfort technology products, which delivered double-digit growth in nearly every country and across all distribution channels. This is a testament to our brand, our people, and our products. Our long-term growth strategy remains intact, and we believe will demonstrate the resilience of our business model through these challenging times. We are steadfast in our focus on delivering innovative, stylish, comfortable products at attractive price points to consumers around the world. With that, I will now turn the call over to David for closing remarks. Thank you, John. Three quarters of record growth during a period of continued macroeconomic challenges is a clear indication of the ongoing relevance of Skechers, the desire for quality and comfort by consumers, and the determination of our entire organization to meet the needs and demands of our customers. While we look ahead to our goal of $10 billion in annual sales by 2026, we remain focused on the here and now, delivering fresh products as quickly as possible, creating awareness of the innovations and features in each collection, and increasing the opportunities to shop our brand, be it at our expanded network of direct-to-consumer locations, including a retail base of approximately 4,450 locations or through visible spaces within third-party stores. We are honored to receive our third Company of the Year Award from Footwear News in our 30th year of business. The excitement of our first year has grown over three decades and resonates throughout our talented and dedicated team. We're looking forward to continuing our growth momentum as a more experienced organization and a brand known around the world for its unique portfolio of comfort collections. We recognize the volatility and dynamic situation we are presently in, 
but we believe in the strength of our brand and the long-term position of Skechers. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to the operator for questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. And for participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Please ask one question and one follow-up question only to allow all analysts to have an opportunity to ask a question. Our first question comes from Jay Soul with UBS. Please proceed. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, my question is about gross margin. Uh, John, you called out some of the drivers. I think you mentioned freight logistics, foreign exchange, mix, ASPs. But can you give us an idea of sort of like the magnitude of each of those? And, and really what I'm trying to get at is how much of those was really one time in nature that you expect to get back in a year or two? And, and also with this, within SG&A, you mentioned logistics costs were also in SG&A. I think you called that $50 million. Do you consider that like a sort of a one-time expense as well? And how should we think about that going forward? Thank you. Hi, Jay. Um, on gross margin, I mean, really far and away, the cost driver has been really for the for the full year, um, freight and logistics. It's by far the most significant driver. We were able to offset some of that with pricing. As we've mentioned before, we're still catching up a bit on price increases in the fourth quarter. And then there was some mix. Um, our distributor business was, was very, very strong in the quarter, which is a great thing to see from those markets. But as you know, the distributor business has um, a dilutive gross margin, a very good operating margin, but a dilutive gross margin. So we did suffer a bit from, you know, mix effects there. In regards to the incremental $50 million we quantified, you know, I think most of that long-term is uh, is going to go away as efficiency works its way back into the system. But but as we mentioned and we have mentioned, you know, for a for a while now, we're experiencing severe congestion from supply chain issues, and that's giving rise to the need to spend in order to make sure we're preserving as best we can our customer delivery windows and working our way through that inventory. So. It will linger as long as those issues linger, though we do expect they will begin to become less prominent as we you know, move through Q4 in the early part of 2023. The only caution I give is you know, this is clearly a ramification from COVID's effect on the supply chain, which as we noted in our prepared comments has been both uh, extreme and, and extremely volatile. And so, some of this is going to be subject to where the supply chain, you know, normalizes out and, and when that happens. Uh, the one, one note I would give you, though, on the plus side, and I think David mentioned it in his remarks, you know, we are starting to see some favorable trends on freight rates, uh, container rates. That will work, work its way into the P&L over time because we're still, you know, we still have the inventory that we imported under the higher rate structures, but... You know, in terms of green shoots in the supply chain, uh, that's that's one of the more encouraging ones we've seen. Yes. Yeah, in addition, you know, part of that issue with the distribution centers is we were expanding them at a time where it was difficult to get parts, and we would have been complete a lot earlier and not have to run the duplicate costs, both in the U.S. and places like Panama, if we would have got equipment earlier. 
and had them brought it you know, up to speed earlier. We continue to work on both of them, and um, as we move into one structure and get the learning curve under our belt and, and back into the facilities complete, we should level out significantly um, given the existing volume. Obviously, if the volume continues as it can with us to grow at an at a outsized volume, uh, we may have to play more catch-up in the future in some markets. Got it. Okay. And then if, I, if I can just follow up with one more, just on the inventory, can you give us a little bit of an idea of maybe where it's located? Is it in China? Is it in the U.S.? Is it in transit? Um, and and are you are you comfortable with the level in the sense that you think you'll you'll be able to sell most of it at full price? And, and maybe when do you think the inventory growth rate will get back in line with the sales growth rate? Yeah, in terms of the growth we experienced this quarter, um, two, two notable, notable observations. Uh, almost none of it was in the Asia-Pacific region, which is obviously, as we mentioned, you know, remains under some COVID duress. So it was predominantly in the U.S. Uh, and to a lesser degree in uh, Europe. Um, we do feel very good about the inventory. As we noted, it's all arrived within the last couple of, you know, months. And so, it, you know, it is good inventory that we fully expect to be able to, to sell through, you know, at, at regular prices. We don't have any real concerns about that. We have seen a material shift out of uh, in transit into on hand, um, but that's part of the issue we're, we're, we're talking about here is, you know, you saw throughput improve dramatically and you saw, you saw transit times improve dramatically. And that just brought a lot of product onshore at a rate that's far more significant than we've, we've historically observed. So that also was a contributing factor to the congestion we mentioned. Yes, and you should notice, I think, just want to point out from my own perspective, that what happened during the, the pandemic and the close down is that we moved out our buying process by a few months from what would normally be somewhere in the neighborhood of four, four and a half months to like six, six and a half even out to seven months, trying to get everything in on time with the congestion at the ports and the issues we were having with our uh, factories. Um, that all came in at one time. So it's not under normal circumstances we would have been at a more normal um, inventory rate and rate of growth. But as John said, they are relatively new. They're, they all just got here. They're all predominantly spoken for given the flows we've seen um, as we slow down buying on the tail end until we catch up to the process. So we've now taken our supply chain and moved it back a few months, and we've absorbed all the inventory, so we'll be shipping out of hand. And now that we've expanded our facility and have taken it in, it should be easier for us to process. And I will tell you, you know, the one caveat with that, obviously, is how good does demand stay over the next few months. And the way we started October um, – gives me personally a lot of confidence in the fact that we'll move it out on a very regular basis. Okay. Thank you so much. Our next question is from Laurent Vasquez-Lescu with BNP Paribas. Please proceed. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for taking my question, John David. Uh, I'd love to ask about FY22 EPS guidance. It looks like you lowered it by about $0.25. Cents. Um, John, I'd love for you to kind of give us the bridge on that, like how much of it is incremental from FX, from, you know, the, the, the congestion charges and maybe even China, just so, so we can understand um, the, the magnitude of the, the cut. Uh, thanks, thanks, Laurent. I will 
not, I'll shy away from giving you a penny-by-penny penny, uh, walkthrough, <laughs> but let me give you the big factors in, in order of size and scale. Um, you know, first is going to be the freight logistics. Um, you know, we plan for, we believe, an adequate amount of that. Uh, so that's working its way into the guide. Uh, secondarily, uh, China has not recovered at the pace we had originally expected. Unfortunately, that market continues to be challenged by COVID. Um, you know, we're looking for some early signs that, you know, things are starting to recover, but I, I believe as long as lockdowns and other restrictions on operations are in place, it's going to inhibit China from, from fully recovering. Um, and then FX, uh, FX is, a, is another headwind. But, you know, those are the three most significant factors we're dealing with. Okay, understood. Th th thank you for that, uh, John. And then I, I know you're not prepared to talk about 2023, but um, I don't know if you can give us some color on just the, the wholesale order book for spring 2023. Like, how do we think about it domestic versus international? And then one thing that surprised me um, was the AFPs, both on wholesale and DTC, were up around 1%. Um, I don't know if there was, it was due to increased, increased markdowns, but how do we think about AFPs in the order book versus versus costs going forward for, for at least maybe spring 2023? And, again, I know you're not guiding uh, for 2023, but just some color there would be super helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I would say relative to 2023 so far, I'm, I'm encouraged by what we see. Uh, there's certainly some nervousness in the marketplace, which, you know, we've spoken about. I think it's also important to, you know, keep in mind Domestically, Q1 of this year, which will be our comp, and you know, Q1 domestically next year is you know a really high bar. Uh, I would say many of our conversations with uh, our partners are, are very encouraging. As David noted, demand from our direct consumer business remains very encouraging. So, as it as I sit here today, I, I'm actually you know optimistic that 23 uh, will certainly at the very least be less that bad than everybody's talking about, um, and you know we see some very encouraging signs across the landscape. There, there are also some big unknowns, though. I think again, the Asia Pacific region is going to be a big unknown for us, given how uh, COVID has continued to have an effect on that um, on that marketplace. But overall. Um, you know, I, I would consider, you know, our view to be cautiously optimistic and, you know, getting more optimistic as we continue to see demand at the consumer level, you know, fairly robust for, for Skechers. On AFPs, uh, you need to be very careful there because uh, we do have a significant number of foreign exchange, you know, mixes in there. Uh, I, I don't have the number right in front of me, but uh, hundreds of basis points better would have been the ASP increase were it not for FX. So, you know, as you know, with you know, some of our key markets were also those most significantly impacted by uh, negative foreign currency movements. And with, you know, nearly 60% of our sales from outside the United States, that FX impact is going to be felt throughout, you know, our, our key metrics. And ASPs were, were certainly, you know, one area. Uh, otherwise, on a constant currency basis, we actually felt felt pretty good about um, – about ASP performance. Although again, we're still we're still playing a little bit of catch up on the wholesale side, which we expect to get behind, you know, after the uh, after the fourth quarter. Very clear. Thank you very much, John. Our next question is from Alex Strayton with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. 
Great. Thanks so much for taking my question. I wanted to focus on the, on the top line first. So can you guys just talk to us about the uh, sales deceleration you have embedded in the fourth quarter guidance? Um, if we're calculating it right, it looks like it's going down to like a 9% three-year CAGR underlying growth rate, and that compares to the first quarter through the third at like a low teens number. Um, we're just having trouble reconciling that against what sounds like super strong demand. So is that just all all FX, or, or how should we think about that? The, the most significant factor is, is certainly FX. I think year-on-year year we're, we're losing nearly $100 million of top-line revenue on FX, some of that we had previously anticipated some of that uh, we have not. Um, you know, we are, you know, cautiously evaluating, you know, where every market stands relative to kind of the macroeconomic climate. Uh, probably the few big swing factors in there for us uh, are, you know, where does FX go from here? Uh, how does China evolve over the course of the quarter? And how much, um, how much volatility is in that market because of COVID? Um, you know, one of the other markets that, you know, obviously for us has historically been very key, but, you know, had some of its own challenges uh, this past quarter was Chile, um, a very good market, a very robust market for us normally, um, undergoing some, you know, political and macroeconomic headwinds. So that was, uh, that was a challenge. And then, you know, in all honesty, we, you know, we're cautious about how uh, the supply chain performs. And so we probably baked in a little bit more than average conservatism there. That being said, you know, I'd say if you look back at this quarter, uh, it's also hard to replicate, you know, the growth that, that, that we put up in the face of all the, you know, all the exigencies we, we faced this quarter. Um, and, you know, in all honesty, it could have been even better than that were it not for, uh, you know, some of the challenges we, 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 we felt on supply chain. So, you know, we feel really, really good about where demand is, and that's why we've said as long as demand stays where it's at, you know, we feel incredibly optimistic about our, our 2026 objective of, of $10 billion and more. Yeah, I would also point out that the quarter will likely change in its dynamics somewhat. We always have a very big back half of Q4, which is anticipation of spring, which is a lot of spring product that delivers some in the U.S. and uh, significantly more overseas as they transition. Given the extent that a lot of wholesale customers are backed up now in their own D.C.'s, I do feel that they will take some more in the first quarter than the fourth quarter because they won't be able to transition into their um, new season quite as quickly as in the past, just given their own inventory um, holdings. So should that dynamic change, it could also change some of the dynamics in the fourth quarter. Great. Thank you. Our next question is from Gabby Carbone with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking our question. Just curious if you can maybe just dig in on the health of the U.S. consumer a little more, what you're seeing now, maybe versus a few months ago. I mean, you're obviously experiencing very good demand. And any changes to note in consumer spending behavior? The only thing I'd note, honestly, Gabby, is, you know, what we've mentioned for really the last couple of months which is that the data does not reveal, you know, to us at least, uh, a significant slowdown in consumers' willingness to spend on the Skechers brand. Uh, you know, we felt like this quarter was uh, potentially prone to some risks on the consumer side, and none of that materialized. In fact, uh, you know, I would characterize our outperformance on the domestic, um, domestic consumer side in particular as, as really, really strong, particularly uh, in e-commerce, but really across the board. 
sales from Q4 also very positive. So, you know, I would say we're continuing to see strength across at least our brand and within the gender, you know, profiles of our brand and really haven't detected any meaningful change, which is to say things continue to remain, you know, very encouraging. Thank you for that. And just a quick follow-up. It sounds like you really aren't seeing any pressure from the increasing promotional environment. Is that a fair statement? Well, David's part of the thing, absolutes never really work well in business because, you know, it's never absolutely the case one way or the other. We're certainly seeing more promotions in the environment, and we're not going to sit idly by while others promote and be off-price significantly. But I wouldn't characterize it as a significant level of promotionality. So we are offering promotions in a targeted way. You know, we'll deploy them when we feel it's appropriate. But what we have seen is that it's also then accompanying, you know, very strong demand at the consumer level. So it's been effective, and it isn't by, you know, any extent, you know, from our perspective, at least at this stage, you know, extreme or, you know, beyond what I would consider to be average. All right. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Jim Duffy with CFO. Please proceed. Thank you. Hi, David. Hi, John. Hi. You mentioned you're working to alleviate supply chain congestion in North America. Despite those challenges, your wholesale revenue is very strong. What's the state of channel inventories? Are they lower than you'd like them to be, just given those challenges? You know, as you work through the throughput issues, is there some more channel fill opportunity? Or is the congestion simply just adding logistics costs and channel inventories are in a good place, and you're hoping to relieve some of those additional costs? Well, Jim, I'll give you my perspective, and I'm sure David, you know, will share his. You know, I think if you look at, you know, wholesale channel inventories right now, and this is, you know, never the same for every single partner, but they generally look pretty stable. You know, if you look back relative to 2019, you know, they're very close to those levels. So there's no extreme buildup or drawdown that we're seeing. You know, we are seeing supply chain challenges, you know, all the way through the system. So it's not, you know, it's not simply in our own distribution. We're also seeing it downstream. And so we know that many of our partners are similarly dealing with some congestion issues. You know, we'd like them to have more. And, in fact, you know, if you step back and look at Q3, Q3, you know, without congestion, we would have certainly been able to deliver an even more significant domestic wholesale growth. But, you know, we also want them to be healthy, and we don't want inventory to start backing up. And to date, that's certainly not what we've seen. We continue to see good sell-throughs. You know, we're doing everything we can to make sure we're shipping, you know, on time and in full, and that's what gave rise to some of the costs that we talked about. But we also need to be cognizant of the fact that our partners need to be able to ingest that inventory. Yeah, I think that's true. We don't talk in terms of anybody with having too little inventory, certainly in our industry. I think to our benefit and what we feel good about is that when space is made available, whether it's by a promotional cadence or sales in general, as things open up, we are one of the first calls to deliver the next inventory because our stuff does so well at wholesale and for their own retail. So I think 
We're checking well, which gives us an opening to any openings for inventory and open to buys and um, open to ship, which is just as important nowadays. So I think, you know, keeping in high demand is a key for us. So we have the inventory. Um, we've taken it in early just so it will be available to all our customers. And as they sell down, we're certainly moving it very quickly to them. So uh, we could actually pick up the pace should sales continue to be strong through the, th through the fourth quarter. Got it. And then, John, the incremental $50 million of expense you identified for the third quarter, uh, if I understand you correctly, is that in addition to the higher transocean rates on a year-to-year -year basis? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. That's, uh, that's, that's purely dealing with on-hand inventories, you know, once product has landed. Got it. Okay. And any thoughts on what that figure might be for the fourth quarter? I'm trying to put my arms around what is a potential recapture opportunity is, uh, you know, hopefully someday soon we get back to a more normalized environment. Well, I tell you, we, we are certainly making that our priority, um, but it, it's also important to make sure that we're delivering to customers and we're honoring our commitments to get them the product that, that they need to sell through to, to survive. So, you know, we're trying to balance those two. Um, you know, I, I don't want to give specifics, but I would say, you know, we, we certainly expect a lesser impact in Q4 than we had in Q3, because so far we, we view Q3 as kind of the epitome of the, of the congestion issues, but it's still going to be a, a material impact. And as I, I noted in response to Laurent's comment, it's certainly one of the factors that's causing our change in guidance, because we want to make sure we've adequately incorporated that into our expected results. But but I assure you, you know, we're going to do everything we can to minimize that while honoring our commitments to uh, customers to get them the goods they need, particularly in this holiday season. Great. Thank you very much. As a reminder, we ask that you ask one question and one follow-up question. Our next question is from Omar Saad with Evercore ISI. Please proceed. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, most of them have been answered. I was hoping, though, you could d dive in on the strong GTC trends, maybe separate out e-com versus stores, what you're seeing there. Is that kind of uniform, too, across markets? And then I have one follow-up. Thanks. Yeah, I would say um, not uniform across markets. Uh, we definitely saw outsized growth on the digital side of things. But again, you know, as you've heard us say before, you know, we, we think those are very tightly integrated at the consumer level. Um, it's also, you know, not a fair comparison because as David noted, you know, this year we are in the process of lighting up markets with an online direct-to-consumer offering that we've never had before. So in many markets that's, you know, it's an unfair comparison. What I would say is it's, a, it's apparent to us that the Skechers brand remains in demand at the consumer level. We're seeing that in stores. We're seeing that really across store formats, which is something we haven't seen in a while, which is very encouraging. And we're seeing it in nearly every market. Again, the one, the one uh, drawback on the direct-to-consumer side of things uh, would have been in China. Um, you know, which is just, just facing some difficult uh, conditions, as we noted. And at one point, we had nearly 10% of our stores uh, shuttered because of COVID. 
Um, so, you know, that, that market is, is simply, you know, struggling to cope with the dynamics of COVID. But, but overall, we, we definitely were pleased with what we saw in-store, online, in the communion between those two. And it, it continues in the early part of this, this period to, uh, you know, sh show similar trends, which we're, we're, we're excited to see. Got it. Could you actually elaborate on that comment you just made about, um, you know, putting in some product that you've never had before into the DTC channel? Maybe a little bit more what you're talking about there. Well, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not product. It's uh, it's actually you know lighting up sites that we haven't had before. So you know, just if you Got look it. to last year in the same quarter, Got it. you know, we we did not have sites in Belgium, France, uh, Italy, the Netherlands, Poland, Spain. Maybe we had one, but, uh, you know, Switzerland. So, you know, again, we've been on this roadmap of launching our direct consumer online offering. And so, you know, we're getting, uh, you know, we're getting to a direct to consumer online relationship with many uh, to perform in four. And that's, that's very encouraging. And then quickly, John, any product trends or category shifts to call out, you know, as we kind of return to, you know, come out of COVID and the lockdown kind of lifestyle, you know, are you seeing any shifts in your business, certain parts of the, certain categories of footwear outperforming and underperforming? You know, no no shifts really, but I, I say that with an incredibly encouraging backdrop in that, you know, we've seen comfort and casual continue to resonate strongly. You know, we think consumers are very much appreciating our focus on those two domains in particular. It, it evidences itself in the uptake they have for our, our new technologies when we put them into the marketplace where, you know, they, they've received, uh, you know, very strong demand. I'd say the only notable change versus the last couple of years in the third quarter was, you know, really saw kids come back in a, in a more meaningful way than we had seen in the previous couple of years because COVID obviously played with, you know, school and, and school attendance. Um, you know, we saw a much more traditional curvature of demand on the kids' side that, you know, is associated with back to school. Uh, and that was refreshing. That was good to see because it clearly is an indication to us that, you know, there's some normalcy returning to the, to the retail cadence of things, which is, uh, in our view, good. Thanks for the color. Good luck for holidays. Thank you. Our next question is from Tom Nikik with Wedbush Securities. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Uh, thank, thanks for taking my question. Um, I, I was hoping we – can you give us a little bit more color around Q4, like gross margin versus SG&A? Uh, I mean, it kind of seems like to get – to get to your guidance, given where the uh, revenues are going to be, it seems like either gross margin has to get a lot better or the year-over-year -year growth rate for OPEX needs to slow pretty dramatically. Um, I, know, I know you said, uh, I think, you know, sequential improvement in, in gross margins, but, like, is there any more, you know, color you could give us there? Like, gross margins up year over year, down year over year a little bit. Like I guess any any help there would be would be helpful. Thanks. Sure. Although uh, I'll note, Tom, there's no reason we couldn't achieve both. Um, but I would say in terms of the plan that we've given you, you know, our goal for the entirety of this year has been to catch up on the gross margin side, and our objective is certainly to do that this quarter. Um, now we may not make it 100%. We may get close. Maybe a little bit better than that. 
but I would guide toward a gross margin that's very close to or on top of prior year. That's been the objective of the pricing that we installed previous in the year and how we've gone about pricing in our direct-to-consumer channel as well. And so that's probably the one improvement that is key to understanding our guidance. We have, as we said, incorporated some excess costs from supply chain, similar to this quarter, to incorporate what we know about how the supply chain is expected to behave. We'll have to see how things evolve to determine whether or not that's too much or too little, but right now we think we've been appropriately conservative in incorporating those costs into our expectations for Q4. Got it. Okay. And if I could just ask one more question on China. Obviously, that's been a tough market, and it sounds like one of or maybe two of your really big competitors are still struggling there, and you'll talk about really challenging market conditions. I mean, I guess just kind of like how do you sort of see the recovery in China progressing? I mean, do we think like your China business is up next year, or like just any help around China would be great? Well, let me say first about this year. I mean, I still think Skechers is performing better than almost any other Western brand in that market. The decline we spoke about in Q3, it's important to note that that has a very heavy influence from FX. You know, you almost take 600 basis points out of that just on FX alone. So if you look at it on a constant currency basis, the market, you know, I think they held up really well. If you take a deeper slice of that, you know, e-com was nearly flat, and that's one of the most significant channels for us there. So that was great. You know, obviously stores not being open inhibits their ability to sell and transact. Consumers not being able to be in malls and out shopping, you know, severely inhibits our ability to convert there, and that was the drag in the quarter. You know, we're cautiously optimistic that Q4 will be better and Q1 will be better after that. It's certainly a longer recovery path than we had originally expected, but I see no reason why next year can't put us right back into the track we've been on in China, which is, you know, a fairly, you know, sizable growth path now. That's all subject to what happens with COVID and, you know, political, you know, environments being what they are. So you have to take that with a fairly heavy caveat. But in terms of the base business, demand for the brand, the product resonance, you know, we feel really good about all those things we can control. And I think our team here is doing as good a job as anyone in navigating that. And that's why, you know, at least in terms of the Western brand, you know, we feel like we continue to outperform. We certainly, you know, haven't seen some of the more drastic impacts that others spoke about very recently, and we're encouraged by that. Understood. Thanks, John, and good luck this holiday season. Thanks. Our next question is from John Kiernan with Callan & Company. Please proceed. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. John, you know, $1.8 billion in inventory on the balance sheet at the end of Q3. It's up about $800 million from where it was in 2019. I think sales are up about $500 million from the same quarter. When do we think 
inventory dollar trends come down more in line with sales trends? Is this the first half of next year? When does inventory peak on the balance sheet? Well, that's, I mean, that's difficult to say. I think it's important to keep in mind that a portion of that inventory build is, is purely cost-based, right? You know, you, you, can't, sure. you can't incur, you know, the type of freight escalation and logistics escalation, you know, we've had over the last year without it impacting your on-hand balances because it, you know, it just flows through that way. I would say, you know, if we think about it from a unit perspective, which is a more modest growth than what we what's on the dollar side of it, you know, we do expect things to begin, you know, ticking down. Now, some of that's going to be contingent upon how the supply chain unfolds because, again, this is not a situation where inventory backed up because of a lack of demand. That, that's definitely not the situation we're in. And so, you know, it really has to do with, you know, logistics and timing, all the things that we've had a very tough time predicting well, you know, over the last couple of years. So, you know, again, we prefer it, you know, to be uh, lower than it is. We would prefer to have put less into working capital over the last year uh, than we have. But by the same token, we want to make sure we have the product available to meet consumer needs. Um, and, you know, I, I would expect it to get better or to be, you know, those two, you know, relationships come better into line over the course of this year. Um, but in terms of the exact timing, that, that's too contingent upon how the supply chain performs for me to give you a, an educated guess. Sure. And certainly the whole sector seems to be in a similar position. I guess, you know, you brought up the point that a lot of it, the increase is cost-based. How does this affect gross margin as this comes off the balance sheet and onto the income statement into you know, Q4 and in, in the first half of next year? Well, I mean, it's already in the, the effects we've been seeing on the gross margin uh, side of things. Um, you know, again, the inventory, you know, turns over uh, relatively quickly, you know, in the, in the context of our overall sales performance. So, you know, we think it's incorporated into both the costing that is uh, underpinning our guidance, but also, you know, the pricing actions we've already taken to offset that that we expect to materialize in the quarter. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think we're going to be dealing with this inventory, you know, costed at this level for at least another quarter and a half. But, you know, our expectation is both in terms of what we're seeing on freight and logistics uh, rates coming down, you know, as well as, you know, selling through the inventory that we have, that it'll, it'll, uh, it'll remedy itself over time. You know, the counterpoint I just, I just mentioned against that, because we've, we've often said this, is, you know, we're, we're not looking for a windfall on, on gross margins. You know, we're looking to make sure we protect our gross margins. So, you know, while we'll try to capture as much of that as we can, you know, if promotionality comes back or there's, you know, changes on the on the pricing horizon, you know, we'll, we'll have to be flexible about that, you know, going forward. Because um, it's important to keep in mind that we've got to be true to our, uh, you know, our goal of being, you know, a, a good price for the value we offer, and that's that's going to be important. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Our next question is from Sam Poser with Williams Trading. Please proceed. Uh, good evening. Thanks for taking my questions. I, I want to just go back to the um, to the GNA, please. And and you know, with 600 million in GNA in the quarter, 603. Is is that really? I mean, is that sort of a top kind of number? I mean, or or is this a number that could go to? You know, it, it was up 100 million from last. 
last year, is that a number that could be up, you know, 75, you know, we could be looking at 650 in Q4, or is this something where like that 600, maybe a little bit higher is, is sort of how to think about it, sort of more in absolute terms? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd note is, you know, within that, you know, 600 you mentioned is is these um, these supply chain costs that we've mentioned, that 50 million we quantified. So we definitely don't view that as ordinary course, you know, G&A. Um, the second is we don't really think about it in dollar terms because that doesn't equate with how that G&A performs, particularly the volume-oriented. You know, what I would point out is, you know, believe it or not, even with that 50 million of excess, you know, costs in there, uh, G&A as a percentage of sales actually levered, you know, year over year. Um, and that's how we tend to think about it. There's a piece of G&A that is stable. Um, it reflects just the natural operations of the business, the corporate environment, design, development, etc. But then there's also a piece that is very volume influenced. Um, and then, you know, in this, in this quarter, as we mentioned, there was that, you know, that 50 million that was in excess of what we would have normally expected. So I think if you kind of use those parameters, you'd understand that it should be in line with the sales performance, but also in this quarter, you know, that, that relative measure, that sales, you know, GNA as a percentage of sales was aggravated by that, by that 50 million. Gotcha. Thank you. And then um, I got two more. One, um, what is your optimum forward weeks of supply, you know, back uh, pre-COVID, you were running around, you know, average like 15, right now you're running around t- over 20, and the and, and so I'm, I don't, I'm not really thinking about it on a year-over-year basis, I'm more thinking about it if it's settling down, and then that leads me to the last part of my question regarding timing of orders, timing of your orders, and at Fannie in December, will you be taking orders for like eight, will we back to that four and a half? Four to four and a half month window there, or or are you taking it farther out and then allowing some of it to flow through from what's already here and what's still coming? I guess based on when you took orders recently for spring. Sam, I think those both run together. We're going to be more reactive as we and as reactive as we can be to the to what happens in the supply chain. Um, if we could get back to four months with the confidence that it will be here on time so we can deliver on time, we will certainly push towards that direction as we get through the end of the year. Um, right now, there's some different issues as far as the supply chain is concerned. Even though container costs are coming down, they're coming down because the demand for space has come down so dramatically that sailings have been canceled, moved around, and it does increase to what we feel a comfort factor would be um, for time and transit. So to the extent we get more back to normal, we'll be going more hand-to-mouth so that we can calculate the type type of on-hand inventory and the terms that you were talking about before if we can get a real solid handle on the transit times. Okay, and, and then with your backed up, I mean, with the, with the congestion at the DCs and getting the, getting the you know the expansion to the USDC and and the other DCs up and going. I mean, is this something we really should be thinking about? That like these incremental costs are going to continue through the first quarter of next year, and that's when they should you know if they're going to ease up, that's when we should think about uh, you know at the earliest they're really going to start easing, just given the way everything's happening right now and the timing of getting you know everything you have in, sort of internally up and up and running. Well. 
I'm more an optimist and a hopeful person than John. He's more a numbers guy. So I will tell you, my perspective is that they start to come down. The question is the rate they start to come down. Um, the way I think about it is when things started to open up as far as the port was concerned, we started to receive inventory from the port at a rate more than double of our peak um, at any time since those changed. And the supply chain comes in and we won't be receiving inventory at that rate. So that's one expense that goes away in looking for additional space and trying to move it out and just unload all those containers for somewhat efficiencies. And we've already got those under our belt. So if anything, we will not be looking for more space. We will not be expanding. We will get rid of the excess cost of the new part of the distribution center, which is not a storage facility for the most part, but is an operational facility. So while we're training on it and getting up and going, we have duplicate costs. So hopefully by the end of the year, early part of next year, a significant piece of those costs go away. So if you think about not paying overtime, not trying to work all of seven days a week to receive all those shoes and ship the maximum amount we can, I do believe we're coming into a more efficient use of the distribution center. And that would include here, the U.S., so we can get all the equipment in. There, there, there's still some final touches, both in South America and here in the U.S., that are waiting for our, our builders and our um, installers to get final pieces to get it done so we can move this along. You know, under normal circumstances, we would have done in the U.S. last December or January. A big piece of that was uh, they were running late because of the supply chain, their own supply chain and their own personnel issues to bring stuff in to be installed. And then we stalled back because we had all that stuff to receive and try to get out the door um, and hire a significant amount of people. People weren't as available. So right now, we don't feel we need any more. Uh, and certainly not a significant amount of people. We will be reducing overtime. We won't be receiving that much. So I think we're getting to a much more steady stream uh, of, of product, and it should start to flow through the G&A as we move through this year and into next quarter. Our final question is from Rick Patel with Raymond James. Please proceed. Uh, so thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, can you talk about the underlying trends in Europe? Um, it seems performance there was really strong in the third quarter on better product availability versus last year. But just given some of the macro headlines that we've been seeing uh, across Europe and the U.K. in particular, uh, I'm curious if you're seeing any changes in the way that wholesale accounts or consumers uh, are behaving in Europe versus what you were seeing about three months ago. Obviously, it's up. <laughs> had a great quarter. So that's what we saw, and nothing has changed in October, and nothing has changed anecdotally with our meetings with some of our larger accounts as to what their needs are and what how we're selling through and how they feel about their order backlog. So um, while we, as everybody else, read the headlines and see what's going on in some of them for our particular case um, and the particular product offerings we have there and the stuff we're delivering, we continue through current time in October, um, as we did all through the last quarter. Yeah, I would just add to that, Rick. I mean, uh, keep in mind as well that, that the numbers we, we spoke about in kind of our uh, RMEA and Europe region were also severely impacted by foreign currencies. So they were, they were significantly better even than as reported on a constant currency basis. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we continue to see good trends for our brand in Europe. Um, 
you know, there's obviously uh, a lot of concern in that market over the macroeconomic environment, but, but so far we have yet to see that meaningfully materialize in our business, either on the wholesale side or on the, uh, on the direct-to-consumer side when, when taken as a whole. I appreciate it. Good luck to Salve. Thanks. Thanks. And this does conclude our question and answer session, and this concludes our conference. Thank you for your participation. You may disconnect your lines at this time and have a wonderful day.